Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. I'm afraid that when SpongeBob and Patrick go off to college, they live under the sea where it's all wet and they won't be able to smoke a pipe. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from lovely Concord, North Carolina, but hopefully just for a few more weeks. Uh, More on that in just a minute. In uh, tonight's show, though, in Pipe Parts, we're going to go over uh, pre-Chicago show preparations and... uh, Things to see, special events happening at the Chicago Pipe Show. So, uh, my pre-planning and uh, what I'm doing to get ready for the show. My guest tonight is pipe maker Nathan Armantrout. We'll have him on the phone. Uh, In music, instead of music, we've got a comedy routine that I don't think we've played on the show, but it's with Bob Newhart and it's uh, funny, so that'll come up. Mailbag and rant, all that coming up on tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Um, so as I said, a couple more weeks of Concord, North Carolina. Why? Because we're moving. Uh, we're moving about uh, we're moving about fifteen minutes away from here, but it's a whole different different county, different city. Um, we're moving to uh, what will hopefully be our uh, forever home. This will be. If everything works out, the last house that we move into before I move into the uh, big house, uh, the big house with uh, lots of pipe smoking in the sky. Um, so the last the last five or six weeks, we've been out on the weekends going to open houses and looking at houses and stuff. And we finally decided on one and literally in uh, we put the offer in and then an hour and a half later, we got a counter offer and we'd accepted and. We're right now in the beginning of the inspections and uh, uh, appraisals and all that stuff. So uh, maybe in uh, four weeks, four weeks from today, three and a half weeks, we'll have the keys to the new house. And then we'll be moving in right after the Chicago Pipe Show. Uh, Now there's a few things that we have to have done to the house before we can move in, so it may not be that quick. But I'll keep you updated. Hopefully it won't affect any episodes of the Pipes Magazine radio show. All right, let's get the party started. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. All right, here we go. It is pre-Chicago Pipe Show time. I mean, we are literally uh, three weeks away from me. Hopping on an airplane to head to Chicago for the five or five or six nights, uh, five nights that I'm there, and uh, here's a little bit of what I do pre-show. First thing I do is I check their website for any events or any of the seminars that I want to make sure and uh, and get to. Uh, for those of you going on May third and fourth, there will be two different pipe making seminars. Uh, one of them will be a two day event on how to finish a pipe with uh, Lee Von Erich, Joe Nelson, Mike Butera, and other pipe makers. And then there'll also be a separate two-day course in uh, Meerschaum pipe making with a Turkish carver named Ishmael Kalebi. And uh, both, of those are, both of those events are pre-registration only, and there's a charge. 
Uh, on Thursday, May 4th, it says we expect to have an all-day tobacco blending seminar in the tent. I'm pretty familiar with how that one went last year. Hope they do uh, better than what we did last year, but it was a lot of fun. The uh, big stuff starts on uh, Friday. On Friday, May 5th, there is a uh, swap and smoke. Well, let me back up a little bit. At 5 p.m., the Society of Dunhill Pipe Smokers will meet. And at 4 p.m. on the Thursday, uh, on Thursday at 5 p.m. is the Dunhill Pipe Smokers. And on Thursday at 4 p.m. is the International Sheraton Collector Society. So that's all on Thursday. Then on Friday is the Swap and Smoke in the tent, 8 a.m. until about uh, 3 or 4 p.m. And that's where anybody who uh, wants to get up and stand in line can uh, get up there and go and uh, get half a table and put their wares out. Um, also during the day, there'll be a, uh, uh, a limousine running back and forth to a premium outlet mall all day for shopping. And, uh, then the, uh, tobacchiana seminars and ladies craft program are on Friday evening. There's a free Friday evening welcome dinner for 600 people at seven o'clock. That's a huge, big buffet. And it's always a lot of fun. There's usually some free, uh, or there's usually some tobacco there. Can't say free anymore. Um, at 9 p.m. on Friday night in the smoking, uh, in the smoking tent. I'm not sure. Uh, don't know the location, but at 9 p.m. on Friday night, May 5th will be the much anticipated world premiere of Father of the Flame. Uh, four years, five years in the making, and this will be the first time it's shown publicly, so I'm looking forward to that. Friday night will also probably be Rob Cooper's seminar. I'm going to guess that'll be, uh, before Father of the Flame or after it. Uh, and then the big show starts on May 6th, opens bright and early, 10 a.m., uh, runs all day until 5 o'clock. There's a, uh, Saturday night, uh, dinner that you can sign up for and all the information's on their website. The other thing that you want to keep an eye out on on Saturday is the silent auction. And then on Sunday, the show opens at 9 a.m. and at uh, 1 p.m. will be the slow smoking contest and that's an international event. You want to see, oh, probably 100, 120 people all smoking slowly at the same time that's the perfect place to go. Anytime during that whole time from Wednesday until uh, late, late, late Sunday night, the smoking tent will be open, and there will be a uh, cash bar in there as well. All right, so here's what I've done to get ready for this year's Chicago Pipe Show. Um, as I've said before, I try to keep my pipe, uh, my pipe collection of smoking pipes down to a... Yeah, uh, not a. I don't. I don't want it to grow. Let's put it that way. So, fifty, sixty pipes is a good, comfortable level for me. And I sat down with them about three weeks ago, and went through my pipes and went through the ones that I had. You know, kind of separated them off and started paring them down and whittling them down. Automatically found ten pipes that I just haven't smoked in about. A year or two. Uh, looked at those, smoked one or two of them again, reminded myself why they just don't get smoked that often. 
Well, those got traded off to smokingpipes.com for store credit. And then, uh, because of the condition of some of my pipes, about 30 of them have, uh, well, right now we're through 20, and I've got 10 more to go, have been uh, sent off, and I've had Lance Leslie, local here, doing the uh, doing just stem cleanings for me. The bowls were fine, didn't need much, just cleaning the stems and getting them ready. And then as I get them back from him, I'm going back through and I'm smoking them, and I'm again reminding myself, well, you know, maybe this one or that one. Anyway, I'm getting my uh, my pipe smoking rotation down to where I have some large pipes, I have some smaller pipes, I have some straight pipes, I have some bent pipes, and only the best of the rotation is staying with me. The rest of them will be brought to Chicago and used for uh, trade bait or maybe just for sale, but... I could see myself bringing another five or six out of the ones that I've still got and uh, doing some horse trading while I'm there. And then, of course, looking for uh, new pipes to come home with me. So that's what I've done. Uh, the other thing that I'll mention is, uh, you know what, keep an eye out. Keep a mental list of some of the vintage tobaccos that you want to find. Uh, I failed to mention that at the Raleigh Pipe Show, I found a couple of tins of McCraney's Red Ribbon, which I absolutely love. And this was the first year McCraney's Red Ribbon, so the 1983 crop. Well, the guy that was selling them had them for uh, 22 to uh, 22 or $25 a tin. That's probably $50 below what they go for on eBay. So even though I was at a pipe show, I still found a deal. When you get to the Chicago Pipe Show... You'll find things that people have undervalued compared to what you think it's worth, and you'll find things that people have overvalued compared to what you think it's worth. So start knowing what the uh, what the price is or what the value is on stuff. You may find some really good things that at a really good price. Uh, but again, get your head familiar with it. Get your get a get prepared for what you think you're willing to pay for something and if the deal doesn't work out move along uh there you go i'll make sure and uh, try to get around once or twice before i make a purchase because i just like to see everything unless i know that there's like an absolute whiz bang of a deal you know like somebody's got a disney pipe for 40 bucks like the one i lost last year <laughs> anyway, there you go. That's my pre-Chicago show preparation. Uh, next thing you'll hear from me about the Chicago show is that I'm leaving on a jet plane the next day. So, there you go. In just a minute, Nathan Armentrout will be on the phone with me. This is Internet Radio. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990, Cornell & Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco, expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special Red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot 
with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes autumn evenings so well-loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. And joining us on the phone, uh, Nathan, I'm trying to think back to when the first time we met was, but your beard was, I think you were clean shaven then. And I was, yeah. yeah. I can't remember the year. I want to say 2010, but it was at one of the uh, Vegas West Coast Pipe shows. Yeah, so uh, let's welcome pipe maker and his beard, uh, Nathan Armantrout, to the Pipes Magazine radio show. How you doing, everybody? All right, so we we've established that you have a uh, that that you have quite a beard now, but let's backtrack to before the beard. Um, where did you grow up, and when did you first smoke a pipe? Um, so, I, born and raised in a, a town, the, it's the farthest north you can go in Los Angeles County in California. It's called Lancaster, uh, middle of the Mojave Desert, pretty boring and plain and brown and dry. Um, uh, lived here all my life. Uh, mom born and raised here. Grandfather born and raised here. So, you know, my roots go pretty deep in the area. Um, wow. my first pipe smoking experience was the summer after I graduated from high school. Uh, a friend of mine, we took a, a road trip up to Glacier National Park in Montana. Uh, we were going to do some backpacking and hiking through the park. And uh, on the way out, he picked up a couple basket pipes and a bag full of really nasty cherry tobacco. <laughs> and uh, the plan was that you know we were going to break them out around the campfire kind of deal. But before we had we could, uh, we decided to hop over the border into Canada because the, they have a Waterton Lakes National Park that kind of butts up to glacier so we wanted to go to that side well apparently we looked pretty suspicious uh at the border and they pulled us over went through every possession we had we had to empty out sweeping bags to make sure we weren't hiding anything they like were looking through the dashboard and when they came across the pipes um in the uh they were in the glove compartment apparently the cherry tobacco smelled like something else and they they were not real happy about that, so they confiscated that, and and we never even really got a chance to break those in. And uh, yeah, that was my first experience with pipe smoking, and it wasn't a great one, that's for sure. It didn't come till uh, actually quite a few years later until I actually picked it up again. Uh, I think it was maybe thirty-five or something before I got the urge to go back to it. And, uh, you know, first of all, you're a rare breed to be like a second or third generation from Lancaster. Cause I know, grow, yeah. you know growing up in the, growing up in the LA area, Lancaster is where people went if they wanted to buy a house that they could afford and then they drive an hour and a half to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a lot of commuters here and we've got a lot of people who, uh, uh, in the, uh, aerospace industry, cause we've got an air force base to the North of us. But yeah, most people want to leave here as soon as they can. And I've tried on several occasions, but my roots keep bringing me back. <laughs> uh, that Air Force Base, for those that are interested, is uh, Edwards Air Force Base, where the space shuttle used to land. So it's uh, not a small Air Force Base. 
Yeah, yeah, a lot of cool stuff going on there. I, I saw several space shuttle landings. My dad actually worked on the base. He was a civilian, but he ran the uh, uh, jet engine test cell for General Electric. They had all the engines in the B-1 bomber and the F-16 fighters back, back in oh, the, wow. I guess, 80s, 90s. Wow. All right, so uh, so how old were you when you, you you were 35 when you decided, all right, I'm not going to Canada again so I can try a pipe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, so I had some friends who, um, well, believe it or not, I almost hate to admit it, but they were big Tolkien guys. Uh-oh. And they had a, uh, you know, a literary philosophical discussion group that they had based off of the Inklings, which was a group that... Tolkien had with other literary guys back in the day, uh, and they would meet at a local pub in the whatever town there in England they were at, and uh, smoke pipes and talk about books and stuff like that. And they, you know, kept hounding me, "You got to come, you got to come!" But before you do, you got to get a pipe. So, picked up a cheap pipe, and uh, you know, it, it grew on me really, really quickly. And it, it the pipe making thing came shortly after. I. Uh, I was looking online for a case to keep the pipe in. The, the I don't know if you want to call it a pipe shop, but what we had at that point, you know, they had basically basket pipes, and that was about it. So I was looking for a case online, and I came across a, a pipe-making kit, the pre-drilled blocks with a, uh, you know, a stem stuck in it. And at the time, my wife was pregnant with our now twin daughters, and... She was sick a lot, and uh, I was bored a lot. And so I thought, what the heck? You know, I'll try my hand at carving a pipe. I had been involved with woodworking previously, and the obsession grew very, very quickly. So, so, so your wife is pregnant with twins, and you decide that's the perfect time to go sit out in the garage and try to make a pipe. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, there's not a whole lot I can do for her when she's sick in the bathroom. But uh, I, you know, I was there. I, I will say, when when she needed help, I was there. But when I couldn't be of any help, I needed something to do. Right. Yeah. Now let let's backtrack again because uh, you're. I, I'm assuming you went to college because you're a you're a teacher. Yes. Yeah. I. Um, I attended college also in California, uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, and my original uh, field of study was electrical engineering, but uh, I just didn't see it. You know, after a couple semesters, it just wasn't what I was interested in. All my, like, high school aptitude tests had pointed me towards engineering, but once I actually got to there, uh, it just didn't seem like a, a good fit. So I... I actually changed my major over to biology, uh, and it, anyways, yeah, through that, so now I'm a, a science teacher. I teach eighth grade science uh, at a middle school here in the AB. And uh, and how, lo- how long have you been teaching middle school? Uh, this is my 16th year teaching. Uh, I taught four years of seventh grade science. And in the last 12, I've been doing eighth grade science. Uh, eighth grade science is, here in California, is physical science, so physics and chemistry and a little bit of astronomy. And then for the last uh, six years, in addition, I've also been teaching a uh, STEM elective, STEM standing for science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. So it's basically a, an engineering uh, focus. 
So I teach a, an elective course in that as well. I I think some of the uh, you know some of the bravest people in the world were the first ones to go in outer space. Um, you know, first responders that run into fires and middle school teachers. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I don't know if it's brave, but it definitely takes a specific mindset. You've got to have the right mindset to be able to surround yourself with teenagers, you know, 13, 14 years old, and actually not want to kill yourself. Um, <laughs> or them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, it, it is, it's super rewarding, and I, I've, I've enjoyed it. You know, there, there's ups and downs, I'm sure, with any job, but, you know, overall, it's been a really rewarding path. So, has all your, I mean, kind of your, your background with the, with the sciences and all that, did that help you when it came time to start looking at how exactly do we make this pipe and what makes it tick? Uh, yeah, you know, like I said, I did start out engineering, and I do have a very engineering-wired brain. Uh, the, the interesting thing is um, the first of this uh, STEM elective course that I taught, uh, it had a – the first semester was focused on electrical and electronic stuff. So it was basically electrical engineering, which I took in, you know, uh, college and hated it. Uh, and then the second – semester was aeronautical engineering uh and i loved it and so i think had i started out with aeronautical engineering i would have continued down that path because the the engineering brain is very much you know a part of me even though i didn't you know continue in that direction uh but i do think that that has a a big influence on on how i get things done i I consider myself pretty efficient, and I'm going to find the most efficient and effective way of doing something. Um, even, you know, my workspace isn't exactly optimal or super high-tech, but I find, you know, I can think my way through these issues and find what's going to be the most efficient way to do it. So after you bought that uh, make-your-own-kit and your wife's pregnant, when did you, uh, when did you start looking at machinery and, uh, and supplies and all the, all the real stuff? Uh, it was pretty shortly after that. I mean, the, the first one, was it was horrible. And honestly, at that point, I, I really couldn't even have told you what the difference between a billiard and a Dublin was. I didn't have any knowledge uh, of shapes or anything like that at that point. I was just kind of, you know, throwing darts, hoping something would look cool. Um, and it didn't at all. It was horrible. Um, but it lit a fire under me that I needed to make one that looked right. <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't content to just say, eh, I didn't do a very good job. I, I needed to I don't want to say master because I still don't think that I've mastered anything, but I wanted to be to make something that I was proud of. Uh, and so I, it, it took off pretty quickly from that point from, you know, I think I did a couple more kits after that uh, and then slowly started tooling up the shop. And I, it, it took me, I mean, it took several years before I would have, you know, a metal lathe, which most pipe makers consider to be, you know, the one do it, your machine you can't do without. 
Um, for a long time, I just had a, a shaping wheel, which was a, uh, a corded drill clamped in a, a little table. <laughs> uh, it was very, very low tech, but it worked. And, uh, you know, the, the shop has slowly grown from there, but even now it's still fairly, fairly low key compared with a lot of pipe maker shops I've seen, but it gets the job done. Do you remember what it felt like the uh, first time you sold a pipe that was to somebody that was not a friend of yours that you begged them to buy it? Absolutely. Yeah. And it was the, the show where I met you in Vegas that year. And, um, that show was just absolutely overwhelming for me. I, uh, I got a lot of positive feedback from, uh, different pipe makers and people that I, that I had heard of in the industry at that point. I hadn't really met many of them. Uh, I'd interacted with a few different people on pipe makers forum, um, but had a lot of great feedback. And then surprisingly enough, the, uh, my very first customer there in Vegas was a guy who he had come by my table several times, uh, you know, like they often do at pipe shows, picking up a pipe, looking, oh, I'm going to go look around, come back, picking up a pipe. And oh, I'm going to go look around one more time. <laughs> and, uh, eventually came back and we started talking a little bit more and it turned out he actually lived in Palmdale, California. He was about 10 <laughs> minutes away from me. Uh, and I guess that kind of closed the deal. Once he knew I was sort of like the local guy, then, uh, that sort of sealed the deal and he purchased the first one, but it, it was, it was an overwhelming first show because I, I had no idea what to expect and to have, uh, you know, just people giving me really positive feedback and they were honest and said, Hey, here's where you need to, to work on stuff. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a little overwhelming that first show. I, I had no idea what to expect. I'd never done anything like that. I'd never tried to sell anything that I'd created. I'd never put anything out there for people to judge and look at. And, uh, it was, it was a really great experience and, and a little overwhelming for me at the time. No, up until that point, you'd only been used to standing up in front of 30 or 40 middle school kids and trying to keep control of that crowd. So, uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> uh, that's a perfect place for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more pipes, and then we're going to get into this beard thing. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. My name is Shane Ireland, and I'm the pipe manager at SmokingPipes.com. It's my job to source and select the absolute best pipes from all over the world. We take collecting seriously, so you should think of us as your team of personal pipe shoppers. When you browse our site and make your selection, the pipe you've picked out has traveled from the maker to our merchandising and quality control department. It was then given to our highly skilled photographers, videographers, and copywriters before being carefully and lovingly packaged by our shipping team. The pipe you see is the pipe you get, and it's just the one you've been searching for. Whether you're on the hunt for that next special piece to add to your collection or would simply like a recommendation from our extensive selection of tobaccos, give us a call at 1-888-366-0345 and our friendly experts will be glad to assist you. We are quality. We are experts. We are collectors. We are SmokingPipes.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with pipe maker Nathan Armantrout. And 
All right, so uh, when you were first making pipes, did you go and work with anybody, or did you just dive into the YouTube videos and Pipe Makers Forum and stuff like that? Yeah, you know, I had spent a lot of time on Pipe Makers Forum up until that point. And then at that first show, I uh, met Ernie Markle. And, you know, we kind of hit it off really well at the beginning. We had a lot in common, a lot to talk about. He was really helpful, and he ended up introducing me to uh, Jeff Grasick of J. Allen Pipes. And Jeff was super helpful um, at, at that show. And at the point, he... You know, I looked over some of my pipes and says, I like what you're doing here. You know, you got some good stuff going on here. And he invited me to come down and visit him in the shop, which he lives down in San Diego. Uh, it's about a three-and-a-half-hour drive for me, so not too far. And so shortly after that, uh, I think it was the next summer when I, when I had some time off from school, uh, I was able to go down and visit him. And the, the first time I went down there, I just kind of watched him. You know, I just you work and I just want to watch what you do. And he would throw pointers at me and stuff. And, you know, I got to visit him a couple more times. And, uh, as I mentioned, Ernie Markle, he, he helped me a bunch. Uh, and then, uh, one of the, the biggest influences on me as a pipe maker, uh, has been, uh, Tyler Lane or Tyler Beard, whichever he goes by. He goes by Tyler Lane for pipes, but his real name's Beard. Lane's his middle name. Um, but he was the the sort of founder and moderator of Pipe Makers Forum, and he had seen a uh, a pipe of mine that I posted, and I had some questions about it, and he just kind of messaged me through the board and said, "Hey, why don't you give me a call sometime?" Which I know he, he's done for a lot of people, and so that started up a real fast friendship with him. He and I became real good friends over that, and we still chat a bunch uh, all the time. And uh, basically, what he did is he he said, "You know what, I." I'm not really making a lot of pipes right now, but what I want to do is I want to send you, meaning me, he wanted to send me some of the pipes that he was currently working on. They were just sort of in process. And so he sent me some pipes of his, and then we would Skype, and we would look at them, and I would look at them at different things, and we'd talk about them. Uh, and then when I sent them back to him, I sent him some pipes of mine, uh, and then we did the same thing. We would get on Skype or Google Chats or whatever, and he would go through them and point different things out to me. And so he had a, a really huge uh, influence on me uh, as well. So I, I, those three guys were hugely important for my my early development as a pipe pipe maker. Tyler, Ernie, and Jeff were all really, really huge uh, influences and big helps to me. Wow! So there were there were unfinished pipes crisscrossing the country, and then being examined and going back and forth that that's incredible to think of all those pipes moving around yeah yeah it was it was pretty cool it, it really neat of tyler to do that you know something he didn't have to do and you know a lot of people probably wouldn't do but it was really really nice of him to do that and very very helpful uh so we we know there's about uh you know about between uh, 60 and 450 different steps in making a pipe, is there a part of the pipe-making process that you like the most? Yeah, you know, I, I, I've really kind of changed over the years. I used to really, kind of because of my setup, I, I would do things in batches. Like I would do all the shaping at first, and then I would do drilling, and then I would do uh, you know, stems of five or six pipes at a time. And that got, it, it felt a little too uh, 
production line. Like, you know, when you're just doing stem after stem after stem, it gets kind of old. And stem work quickly uh, does get old, but it has actually become something that I, I really like watching it come together. And it seems to be the one thing that people who know nothing about pipes are really impressed. How did you shape that curve into it? And I just tell them it's magic, but it's really not magic. It's just heat. Yeah, but uh, so, you know, stems, sometimes they're a little frustrating, but I, I really like watching a, a nice stem come together. And then, of course, the initial shaping when you're first just kind of getting into a block and, you know, maybe working your way around some sand pits or something. So your, your design changes and you kind of got to think on the fly. That initial shaping is, is, is a lot of fun. It's it's really kind of where the the creative portion comes out, and you just kind of just go with it. Was there a shape of a pipe that was hard to get a handle on? Yeah, you know, I I spent a lot of time on a straight billiard at the beginning. I made a lot of billiards, and I made a lot of ugly billiards uh, until I found. Again, I don't want to say master because I don't think I've mastered anything, but I like my billiard. Now, my billiard is a little curvier than a lot of others. Uh, it's definitely got some Danish influence. It's more Danish than, than English, um, but I think it's distinctly me. Um, but that was, a, that was a tough shape, and I think it's, it's such a great shape to learn on because it is theoretically really simple but practically really hard to pull off and make it everything look right. You know, from the, the little bit of cant that needs to be on the bowl and the uh, dimensions of the shank and, uh, you know, the, the ratios of stems, the stumble and stuff like that. And, and there's obviously a lot in there that you can play with, uh, but it's pretty obvious when you look at a billiard whether it looks good or not. And so it, it, it took some time to before I made one that I said, yeah, that looks pretty good. Is there a shape now that you're still working on perfecting or, or at least not perfecting, but uh, getting it comfortable enough that you want to sell one? Um, you know, yeah, I don't, it's not necessarily a shape specifically, uh, but there's a certain collector who loves collecting pipe makers first two-piece calabash, a true two-piece calabash. Uh, well, I guess I shouldn't say true calabash because it's not made with a gourd, but a two-piece calabash. Um, and he's been hounding me for a couple of years, like, you got to make one, you got to make one, you got to make one. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And finally I said, you know what, I'm going to do it. I, I, I'm, I'm going to challenge myself to do it. If I have to go through, you know, 10 blocks to get one, uh, I'm going to do it. And so I adapted um, – uh, one of my designs that's come to be known as the Briar Blossom, like, which I'm, you know, a lot of people might be familiar with, uh, which is basically a variation on like a, uh, a Danish style natural plateau sitting bent cherry wood. <laughs> There's a lot of descriptors in there, but um, with a half twist. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I actually adapted that design uh, to have a removable bowl um, and then, the, you know, the cooling chamber inside the pipe. And it took a lot of time. Uh, I, I was slow on every step, you know, just making sure everything fit and everything was right. And the pipe just came together beautifully. It, it really came together. I was 
you know, not to brag, but I was impressed with myself. <laughs> I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to pull it off, uh, and it, it really came together nicely. Uh, how many pipes a year do you think you get a chance to make? Because you're, you're just doing this part-time. Yeah, you know, it varies. Last year was uh, definitely low on the production side. I, I, I've i been teaching the same thing, uh, you know, like I said, for 16 years. But I recently, this last this beginning of the last school year, I switched to schools uh, and actually to a different district as well, still local. Um, but because of that switch, this new job just required a lot. And so in the last year, my production has been quite a bit lower than it has been in the past. But for the most part, I, about 40 pipes a year is what what I'm comfortable doing uh, as, a, as a part-time thing. A lot of that happens during the summer because you know, teaching, I do feel teaching is a great job to have. Uh, if you're going to do pipe making part time, because there, you know, we do have time off for holidays and the summer, but yeah, about 40 pipes, maybe a little less, maybe a little more, just depending on, on what's going on. Have you weighed the blocks of briar that you've bought from when you got them to when you go to use them? Because you're in the high desert, which is really a perfect place to dry out briar blocks. Yeah, yeah, you know, I haven't weighed them specifically. I, I have a system, you know, where I keep the new ones I get, you know, in the back. And so whatever age time my blocks get at the cutters, they get at least a couple of years here in my shop before before I use them. I, I haven't done any specific measuring uh, to see how much, you know, moisture weight is lost at that point. But on, on that note, I've... I, I had sort of an interesting problem, I guess you would say. Um, early on, when I would ship a pipe to a humid climate, um, all of a sudden I'm getting these notes like, hey, the stem is super loose. It's like practically falling out of the tenon. I'm like, really? That's crazy. You know, it, it left the shop and it fit fine. And so, come to find out doing some research you know because you think okay so humidity is going to swell the block so that means the uh you know the the mortise and tenon should be tighter if it swells the block it's going to you know be tighter well what i found out is that the swelling occurs outward which actually expands the mortise and so then the tenon gets loose so i've kind of had to uh adjust my practices a little bit because I'm coming from such a dry area to if I'm sending to a humid area, I've got to make sure those stems are extra tight so they don't loosen up. Yeah, that that seems completely backwards to me because when I travel to Vegas for pipe shows, I tend to get there and everything seems to be a little looser, but really, maybe it's because I'm in Vegas and everything's looser to me. Um, <laughs> that could be except for the casinos um, <laughs> but let now let now let's talk about the issue that's uh right you know that, that most people if they walked up to you it's really hard for them to not notice the fact that you've got this massively long giant beard hanging off of your face that uh started what two years after you was it four years ago or so yeah, about five years ago, I I I had never gone 
more than a week without shaving. And it was just, it was the summertime, you know, and I didn't really have to be anywhere. And uh, I just decided to see what happens for a few weeks. Uh, you know, a month later, I thought, eh, it looks all right. I'll let it keep going. And every month after that, I thought, eh, it looks all right. Maybe I'll let it keep going. And it's just kept going. It uh, It's kind of taken over now. It's it's nearing my waist. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's nearing the point where I'm maybe thinking that it needs to be trimmed. But it, it seems like cutting off a part of myself now. So you haven't trimmed it or shaped it or done anything. It's you just comb it out and it's grown perfectly down. Yeah, you know, I in the beginning, probably for the first couple of years, I would trim it now and then because it would grow really unevenly. Um, but I I have not done anything to it but brush it for I don't know the last three three and a half years. Are, is there any secret to growing a beard, or are you just blessed with a lot of uh, long facial hair? I, yeah, I think it's I think it's genetics. I, yeah, I don't I don't have any special tricks. I uh, yeah, it's got to be genetics. My, you know, it's funny because some people come and say, "Well, I, I tried to grow really long, but it just grew bushy outwards to the sides and." I think it's just, I think that's genetics too, because I have naturally really straight hair on the top of my head. So it makes sense that it would be kind of straight on the bottom of my head. So it just grows straight down. I've got the, uh, the Dumbledore Gandalf thing going on. <laughs> yeah. And during the right around Christmas time, just paint it white. You'll be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what are your, what do your students think of the beard? Yeah, you know, when they first meet me, it's all about the beard. Can I touch it? Can I touch it? I'm like, nah, I don't really want you touching it. And But uh, once they get used to it, then they just kind of, they don't notice it. Then they're just angry with me because I give them too much work. But <laughs> And more importantly, how does the family feel about the beard? Yeah, you know, my wife has been uh, very supportive. I won't, I won't say she loves it. <laughs> uh, but she doesn't hate it, so <laughs> that's a good thing. And I think my girls now, uh, they don't know anything else other than the beard. Um, a couple years ago, they, you know, when they were about, I want to say four and a half or so, something like that, they, we were looking at pictures of when they were first born, and they were like, who, who is that guy? <laughs> that's me. <laughs> but, yeah, so it's pretty much all I know at this point. It, it, it the one thing with kids, it does get in the way when you're doing a little wrestling or goofing off, and occasionally it gets yanked, and, and that's not pleasant. Not that they would do it on purpose, but, oh, you know, oh, no. it happens. Of course not. No, no. <laughs> they, they'd never take advantage of Daddy's beard and uh, get control of the situation, would they? <laughs> All right. Uh, the website to... Uh, which your your website you honestly said is not real up to date, but um, anyway, it's Armin Trout A R M E N T R O U T Pipes dot com. Uh, Nathan, what's the best way for somebody to get a hold of you if they want to see what you've got or uh, commission something? Uh, yeah, um, 
if uh, if you're interested, Facebook and Instagram are you know such great ways for pipe makers to post pictures of stuff they're working on and stuff that comes available. So I have both a Facegram, uh, Facegram. There we go. Uh, Facebook and an Instagram account, both are uh, just Armin Trout Pipes. Um, on the website that you just listed, is my email address, uh, address is listed there, and that's a great way to contact me as well. It's just na uh, at armandroutpipes.com, uh, and I'm I'm available all the time, so shoot me a message and except you make your pipe. Except you better not be answering during class time. Yes, I will have to decline the call if it's during class time, but I'll call you back as soon as I got a break. Okay. Uh, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Uh, I think so. What is your favorite pipe? Uh, my favorite pipe is uh, I have a pipe that was given to me by Mark Stout, who is a uh, California pipe maker. Um, and he is uh, newer to the game than I am. And kind of in the way that, uh, some guys reached out and helped me, I had the opportunity to sort of reach out and help him. And so he came to visit me, uh, several times here in the shop and we worked on stuff together and we were looking at some pipes of his and I said, man, I really like this pipe. He did a great job on this. And, uh, then two days later, uh, there was a box in the mail from him, and he had sent me that pipe and gifted it to me as a way of saying thank you for all the help. Uh, and so it's definitely one of my favorites. And he's got a big beard now, too. Um, he does, yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite tobacco? Um, I go back and forth between the Presbyterian mixture and the original Frogmorton. I just, I really have a soft spot for both of those two. What is your favorite drink? Ooh, that's a tough one. I'm going to say whiskey. <laughs> uh, I love scotch. I love Isla. I love bourbon. It's hard to pick one. It kind of depends on the mood. Uh, if I'm going to go bourbon, oh man, I don't know. I just actually found one that, that uh, distilled in Bakersfield. Uh, it's called Bowen's, uh, and it's actually really, really tasty. Um, if I'm going to go Scotch, I got to go to Lafroy. But yeah, my whiskey is definitely my my beverage of choice. When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? I'm a music guy. I, I play guitar. I play bass. I I have music entering my head constantly. Uh, I'm definitely a music guy. And, and in a short, a bullet second would be reading. I love to read, too. And then the final question is, do you have a favorite pipe-smoking memory that we haven't talked about? Yeah, I don't know if it's a one specific memory, but I, I was really impressed with the pipe-smoking community as a whole uh, the first time I was able to go to the Chicago Pipe Show. It was just such... First of all, it's just sensory overload to go to the Chicago pipe show. Uh, and then to have so many people that you look up to and respect because you've seen their names attached to pipes that you really like to have these people just be so open and honest and fun and to be able to hang out with them and talk and then just be totally overwhelmed with all of that smoke in the smoking tent. Um, I love those, those times. And unfortunately I'm not going to Chicago this year. I'm a little bummed. But, uh, yeah, those are, those are definitely some of the fun ones. 
well, in a couple of weeks when I'm in the smoking tent and I don't even notice that you're not there because there's only, you know, six or seven hundred other people hanging out, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll have a drink for you. Yeah, do that for me. And then I'll send you the bill. Uh, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> gladly, gladly. Thank you very much for joining us. And, uh, well, I don't want to tell you to keep growing the beard any longer because otherwise it might get stuck in the lathe or a sanding disc or something. And then we've got a whole different kind of pipe coming out of you. I know, yeah. Then I'm going to, I'm definitely going to have to show you at that point. Yeah. Well, at least your daughters have hair bows and ribbons and stuff that you can put it in. <laughs> I do get that request from students a lot at school. Can we braid it? Can we braid it? <laughs> no, you can't braid it. Nathan, thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you. We'll be back in just a minute. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. This is Internet Radio. Do make sure and check out Nathan's pipes and his uh, and his beard. Uh, pipes start out around three fifty. So uh, not badly priced for uh, for some high quality handmade pipes. All right, as I mentioned earlier, for uh, instead of <laughs> instead of music, this is a uh, Bob Hope piece, probably done in the late '60s. It's Bob dressed up in um, uh, I'm gonna say uh, you know uh, 1600s. English uh, attire for a nobleman, maybe dressed as the King of England, and he's sitting behind a desk, and he picks up the phone, and it's a phone call from Sir Walter Raleigh. So here's uh, Bob Newhart. Hello, who's calling? Sir Sir Walter Raleigh from the colonies. Yeah, yeah, uh, put him on, will you? Uh, Harry, pick up your extension, will you? It's Nutty Wald again. Hi, Walt, baby. Good hearing your voice. Things are fine here, Walt. The uh, boatload of turkeys you sent us over here last November, they're they're still here, Walt. Uh, Yeah, they're walking all over London. (laughs) See, that isn't a holiday over here, Walt. Just in America. (laughs) You got another winner for us, Walt, have you? Tobacco. What's tobacco, Walt? A leaf. You've got 80 tons of it. You bought 80 tons of leaves, Walt? Oh, you're, you're beautiful, Walt. You're, you're, uh, uh, Walt, I, I don't know if you noticed last time, we have plenty of leaves over here in England. Uh, see, come fall, we're up to... 
It's a special kind of leaf. It's some kind of food, is it? Well, no, not exactly. Uh, what, what do you do with the leaves, Walt? Lo lots of different things. <laughs> are, are you saying snuff, Walt? Uh, and, and what's snuff? You take a pinch of tobacco and you stick it up your nose. And, and it makes you sneeze. I, I imagine it would, Walt, yeah. Go, goes over very big there, does it? Uh, yeah, Goldenrod seems to do it over here, Walt. Uh, tobacco has other uses. You, you can chew it or stuff it in a pipe. Or you, or you can shred the leaves, put it in a little piece of paper, roll, roll it up. You, you don't have to tell me, Walt. You stick it in your ear, right? Between your lips. Okay, well, and, and then what are you doing? With it? <laughs> you set fire to it, Walt. <laughs> hey, hey, you want to get on the intercom? I, I don't want the boys to miss this. <laughs> you, you spilled your coffee. What? What's coffee, Walt? <laughs> It's a drink you make out of beans. <laughs> you, you roast them, and then you pour them in a cup. <laughs> you drink it in the morning while you smoke your cigarette. <laughs> I'm still here, Walt. I'm still here. <laughs> Look, Walt, I'll tell you what you do. Put some of those on the boat. If you can hook them with the burning leaves, I'm sure they'll go for the beans. <laughs> I'm with you, Walt. Do me one favor, Walt. Don't call me anymore. That was the uh, great Bob Newhart with uh, what must have been an interesting first phone call, invented, considering it was way before the phones were invented, but uh, a first discussion about what do you do with this leaf we call tobacco. Uh, speaking of the leaf we call tobacco, on the JDRF auctions, thank you to uh, radio show listener Rondi Reeves. We've already sold, as of the last time I checked, uh, two lots of tobacco that he donated, and there's still one more up, so that's $90 just off of the two. There's still one more up on... Uh, Steve Fallon's PipeStud.com website. Go grab that one, that lot. Last time I checked, it was uh, six tins of tobacco and a notebook and 75 bucks. And Steve's even given away uh, free shipping that he's picking up the cost for. On eBay, uh, Tom Richard, handmade, freehand pear-shaped pipe, donated by... Peter Field, thank you. That one is up and running right now. It ends this Saturday. And a Brebia Noche unsmoked freehand uh, donated by Steve Monjour from Monjour International. That pipe again ends on Saturday. Every little bit of that. Steve's, Steve's picking up the uh, shipping on those, so what you pay goes directly to JDRF and to 
find a cure and help those with uh, type 1 diabetes. Also, you'll see on the radio show page, there's a link for uh, direct cash donations, which we've already had three. Thank you very much. Again, we've come up a little short on auctions. This will probably be the last run of auctions, so if you're looking for something, do it. Cash donations are great. Whatever you can afford is absolutely appreciated. We're trying to hit that $1,500 level. It's going to be a stretch, and I need everybody's help to do that. Congratulations, Skippy. You've got mail. In the mailbag, uh, listener Rick Smith wrote me, Brian, at PipesMagazine.com, which you're more than free to anytime you want to. He says, hey, Brian, I listen to your podcast. I'm caught up. Now I'm kind of depressed. I have to wait a week for each new episode. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you'll get more depressed if you listen to them back to back to back to back. Anyway, uh, he says, I'm going back and re-listening to all the episodes again. Uh, at this point, I've learned more, and I will get more out of them. I'm wondering about the Texas Pipe Show. I live in Dallas. I've never been to a show. I go to the website often, and I still have lots of questions about it, wondering if you may have any insight on what's going on there. I know the date, but that's it. Anyway, thanks for what you do. It's been very helpful for this year-and-a-half-old pipe smoker. Uh, Rick, you're welcome. I really don't have any more insight into what's going on in Texas, so I thought I would put it out here on the uh, on the airwaves, as they say, and uh, see if anybody can update us. I know they were looking at uh, sometime in September, early October, and I believe also uh, Kansas City was looking at that time of the year, too. So uh, if anybody's got any information, post it on the Pipes Magazine radio show page. Uh, right on this episode or email me brian at pipesmagazine.com and i'll uh, let you know as soon as i hear and uh, going back to last week's show with brian orton uh, let's see new broom writes i laughed in the beginning of the interview because when you struggled to find that common bond beyond your names i like latakia and i don't drink leaves levine grumbles into his chest <laughs> Um, wonderful interview, and I have an opinion. And you're welcome to it. Uh, I looked at Mr. Orton's Facebook page, and what I saw was an incredible array of inventive and artistic textures and finishes. Caution, opinion below. I think the shaping is still a tad bulky, but the uniquely organic results of his artistic visions promise even more desirable smoking objects of art. Keep on puffing, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Uh... Casey Ghost writes, Good show. The trip report was quite useful. Glad the folks in Raleigh had a good show. Nice people. Brian Orton was another guy I haven't heard of. The time he spends on a pipe is rather high for the amount of revenue he's generating, particularly when you consider the cost of the materials. His pipes seem to be mi missing a style of their own, with the exception of the pieces that look like part of a tree. I don't see how he is doing this with a few handmade tools. I'm sure this will change in time. And Jabo writes, Another great show, Brian. Saw Brian's tree pipes on Facebook. And being a forester, I thought, gee, these are neat, but I probably couldn't afford one. When you first started the interview, it dawned on me who makes them. I found out, wow, they are at Yoohoo Affordable and then... Uh, and then you have him on the show exposing him and increasing the demand with a resultant increase in his prices. 
Thanks a lot, buddy. Now I still have to concentrate on my Dunhill collection. Haha, <laughs> Jeb. <laughs> yeah, I've often wondered, uh, and I've heard reports of the Pipes Magazine radio show Bump. Uh, let's see if we can get a bump in Brian's prices so that he's making pipes at a more uh, more reasonable and fair price to him considering the time he's putting in on them. All right. That's the mailbag again. Questions, comments, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com uh, pipes or post them right there on the show page. And rant time is next. Cowboy. Cowboy. Hearing that Bob Newhart routine got me a little pissed off, and you know why? It got me pissed off because the United States of America, when it was originally the colonies, was founded on uh, several cash crops. Cotton, tobacco, and sugar were some of the cash crops of this region. Uh, A couple other things that were indigenous to North America. Corn was discovered here. Uh, cranberries were discovered here, and nobody had ever had a turkey leg. In fact, if you go back to Elizabethan England, turkey legs weren't even a thing yet, but yet they're at every Renaissance fair. Well, you know what? Tobacco's part of our history. Tobacco's part of the founding of this country. And tobacco's one of the few products that we did really well and still do really well. Nobody else does it better. Well, why are we restricting a product that we can grow around here and get more money for it than any other part of the world can, but yet we want to keep demonizing that leaf of tobacco that helped found this country, helped make this country what it is. And you know what? Even if we want to restrict smoking here in the United States, we can still sell it for a high dollar to foreign countries and increase exports. But no, instead we decided to chase out the tobacco farmers by all the do-gooders. Yes, all that original snuff, all that original tobacco that was rolled into papers and then lit up, and all that tobacco that was stuffed in a pipe that was all originally from the United States of America, right here where I'm sitting, and we want to put this... This country is trying to put that product completely off the market. Well, you know what? Let's not uh, let let let's not forget our heritage and let's not forget what we do that is great. All right. Um, again, if you'd like to advertise on the Pipes Magazine radio show, email Kevin at pipesmagazine.com. He handles all that. Hope you all are getting ready for Chicago. We'll keep the shows coming for you. Remember, new ones every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I want to thank Nathan for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just 
Sing a song and think about sunny weather. Can we please make it a rule that this guy wears pants while doing the show?